Bank Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Special day at Dodgers Nation because we have special guest Jerry Harrison Jr. We're talking all things Dodger baseball, the offseason plan. Is Shohei Otani the answer? Which Dodgers free agents should they bring back? So we got Jerry Harrison. Jerry, thanks so much for rocking with us today, my man. DMAC, what's going on, brother? Hope all is well. Jerry, before we get into it, I just want to say that you are the people's Dodgers analyst, okay? You're never afraid to say what needs to be said. You're always pointing out the elephant in the room. When I got my post-game show, I'm always seeing the comments, Jay Hare is cooking right now. Jay Hare for manager. Jay Hare for this and that. So just want to let you know, I mean, we appreciate you so much here at Dodgers Nation, my man. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. You know what? I can't uh, not tell the truth. I have to be honest and forthright. And trust me, the players appreciate it. They tell me all the time. It's never personal. I never attack players personally. I know I, I still am a former player at heart. Uh, and I always like to tell it like it is because it's just the God honest truth. And, you know, I'm not always going to uh, mix, uh, mince my words, but I, I try to do the best job I can. But it's always going to be a, an honest take. Yeah, and I remember a few weeks ago to the Giants with Kai Correa and all that madness, and you're just kind of going off. I'm yelling at the screen, go off, can you tell him, Jay Hare? But yeah, we appreciate that. Now, the first thing I do want to touch on is, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, Jerry, but the LA Times, they put out a report that basically the message was that there's a leadership problem, an ownership problem. Talking about Mark Walter, who's the controlling over the Dodgers, it says he's the person in charge. He has to start acting like it. Now, Jerry, what is your reaction to that? <laughs> are you kidding me uh what mr walter and his and the ownership group has done since day one they made sure that they had a competitive team every single year they've been aggressive in the offseason they've been aggressive at the trade deadline you know every every trade deadline even this trade deadline they were extremely aggressive they got the necessary pieces to give this team a chance to win they went out and tried to get Rodriguez from the Detroit Tigers. He was an ace. The problem is Rodriguez had a no trade clause. So at the last second, he voided that trade. He would have been a guy that probably would have started game one of the postseason. But again, Rodriguez had every right to void that trade. I heard it was some family reasons why he wanted to make sure he kept his 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 family in the Detroit area, which is which is fine. He has every right to do that. But make no mistake about it, since day one. When they, when they purchased the Dodgers, I believe it was May of 2012, I was on that Dodger team. I saw them really pour in to the organization. They poured into the stadium. They poured in to the players, made sure they traded for guys like Adrian Gonzalez, Josh Beckett, Carl Crawford, Nick Puto, that huge deal right away. Uh, so every single year, they've been extremely aggressive. So I do have a problem with that. Listen, I'm not being a homer. I played for nine different franchises. I've grew up in this game. I've seen a lot of different owners have bits and pieces as far as with their franchise and not do or, or just do just the minimal uh, for their teams. And I've seen ownership groups do absolutely nothing and tell the GMs, you know what, we're going to cut payroll. The one thing I will say this, and the Dodgers needed to do this, this past offseason, they needed to know what they had. They needed to make sure they give guys like uh, Miguel Vargas a chance. They needed to make sure they give guys like James Altman a chance. Make sure they give guys like Bobby Miller. They need to know exactly what they have to work with going forward. And then you put the necessary pieces in play when you go out free agents. They signed Freddie Freeman a couple off seasons ago. They traded for Mookie Betts. So I, I think it's ridiculous. They've been extremely aggressive. Uh, and I really believe they'll be aggressive once again this offseason. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more, Jay Hare, because you look at 
you and you're the perfect guy to ask this because you saw this ownership change. You lived through the previous ownership. You guys were wondering, are we going to get our paychecks today, right? Now you got an ownership group that's going out there. They're pouring in resources, not just through payroll. I mean, if you look at the payroll, they're right at the top when it comes to player acquisition, how much money they spent on free agents, but also the resources at the farm system, international signing pool, coaches, everything from top to bottom, nutrition. You just keep going. The list goes on and on. But my read on this situation is when it comes to Mark Walter, it's look, he trusts whatever it is that Andrew Friedman wants to do. If Andrew Friedman wanted to sign Carlos Correa last offseason or Dansby Swanson or Carlos Rodon, he would have greenlit it. If they wanted to make a trade during the year for another player, they would have greenlit it. I don't think that he's meddling in any affairs because last time I checked, Mr. Jerry Harrison, most of the times you're complaining about an owner being too involved. Just ask the Dallas Cowboys, who the last time they won a Super Bowl, Seinfeld and ER were the top shows in America, right? So wouldn't you rather have it as a player where, hey, the owner trusts the GM, you delegate, you let him make moves, and you just stay out of their business? Not only does he trust the GM and trust the process, he's always there to say if Andrew says, hey, we need to go get this guy, then Mr. Walter says, hey, whatever it takes, go get him. They've always done that. And you guys, let's take a step back. Listen, I was very emotional uh, after the post, this last postseason because I want to see our guys thrive. I want to see Clayton Kershaw get a second ring. I got, I want to see these guys continue to win and win multiple rings like Mookie Betts talked about. But if you take a step back and look at what happened from spring training on, we lose our leadoff hitter. And I really thought a guy was really going to take the next step in Gavin Lux. You see what the Arizona Diamondbacks are doing? They're thriving with stealing bases. The, the new bases and the new rules that allows you to be more aggressive, aggressive on the base pass. I thought that would have been game-changing for a player like Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux, his speed is unbelievable. Arguably the fastest guy on the Dodgers roster. He was going to be our leadoff hitter and shortstop. Losing our leadoff hitter and shortstop really crushed us. and kind of put us behind the eight ball right away. But the Dodger players did not make any excuses. They went out and scored 900 runs. Then throughout the season, we had so many injuries. We lost Dustin May. We lost Tony Gonson. Tony Gonson was pitching injury the whole season. He tried to gut it out, and it just his elbow blew up. And now he had to have Tommy John surgery. We know what happened with Julio Arias and Ace. You lose those three guys, it decimates your roster and decimates you're starting rotation. So the fact that the, the the fact is for the Dodgers to be in the position that they were in to get in the postseason to win that many games just goes to show that they have leaders in that clubhouse. Dave Roberts did a tremendous job. Now in the postseason, did they make the necessary adjustments? No. And we found out that the D-backs, their style of play, guess what? It works in the postseason and they're playing extremely well and they're now representing the National League in the World Series. But uh, again, the Dodgers, there's so much that had happened this season for the fact that they were in this position to begin with. It's just a testament to their leadership. But I'm hoping now that they have the pieces in place as far as guys getting healthy, they're going to be aggressive this offseason and really take a stranglehold of the National League going forward. Absolutely, Jerry. And when you put it into perspective like that, you point out the fact that even before opening day, you lose your starting shortstop. You put Miguel Rojas into a situation that he wasn't traded for to do, to be your everyday shortstop. He did a great job doing it. He stepped up nicely. Yeah, Mookie Betts playing in the infield. You talk about the rotation. The last man standing was Clayton Kershaw from that opening day rotation, and he wasn't even close to being 100%. So I'm not making excuses either. I'm just giving an explanation that it's so interesting, Jerry, how the narrative completely changes whereas had they had just won that series in the oh. nlds it would have been this is the overachieving team 100 wins even though you have nine rookies making starts and you no know, nine rookies making their debuts 16 rookies total right everything changes i mean i have been critical of some of the moves that andrew friedman has or hasn't made i just don't think that the ownership has anything to do with it if you have an issue with mark walter that just means you have an issue with andrew friedman and the reality is they're in lockstep as an organization and let's be honest jerry if Shohei Otani was a free agent last offseason, they would have gone all in on him, maybe sign him, and you wouldn't even be having this conversation. I'll tell you what. Listen, I, I wanted, the, obviously, the Dodgers to win this year. I wanted them so badly to win a, a, another World Series this year. But if you're Shohei Otani, and let's say that the Dodgers went on this season and won the World Series, 
Could you have said, oh, now I'm going to hop on the Dodgers bandwagon who just won another World Series? Or if you're Shohei Otani, obviously the money is going to be a, a, big, a big thing. Or if you're Shohei Otani, you see the Dodgers who have struggled to get out of the NLDS the last couple of years. You know what? I could be that dude that helped them get over the top. So if you look at it that way, if I'm Shohei Otani, man, this Dodger team, they not only have a great organization, they have proven over the last decade or so that they want to win. They have made sure they have put in the young players in place with the farm, farm system, developed them like a Bobby Miller, Sheehan, Pepio. You know what? I want to be a part of this organization. I can help them get over the top, not only next year, but years to come. So if I'm Shohei Otani, this is the perfect situation and the perfect time to join this Dodger team. Because if they had won the World Series this year, Everybody go, oh, look at the Dodgers. Look at Shohei Otani. Of course, he's going to the Dodgers. They just won the World Series. But now, Shohei Otani and his crew can say, you know what? Bro, this is the perfect time to join the Dodgers. You can be one of those guys to help them put them over the top. That's such a great point. I haven't heard one person mention that because also, how about this, Jerry? You haven't had a back-to-back since the 2000 Yankees. You haven't had it in the National League since the Reds of the 70s. So if you're a Shohei Otani and the number one goal is to win a World Series, maybe joining a team that did win the World Series wouldn't be the best idea. I think when you look at this organization, the depth they have in the margins, the resources they have, how aggressive they are, I think it's a no-brainer. I think you throw all the money in the world. Like I said, I don't care if Mitch Laws are $200, Dodger Dogs are $500. Find a way to get Shohei Otani in Dodger Blue. But in your opinion, is he the answer as far as he changes this lineup, as far as he answers your postseason questions? Do you think he's the ultimate answer that would take this team over the top? Um, I don't think he's the answer, but I think he could be that foundation piece and not just in the lineup. Think about this. You have Gavin Lux as the off hitter. Then you have Mookie Betts. Freddie Freeman, and they show Halo Tiny right behind him. That's a one through four, which is an incredible lineup. And you have him as your DH going forward. And in the future, he could be part of your rotation. So, again, is one person or one player the answer in baseball? This is not basketball. Absolutely. Basketball, you are on the floor on offense and defense at the same time. There's only five guys that you can put on the lineup. Baseball, there's nine guys. And obviously, you have offense, you have defense. And sometimes the ball's not hit your way. Basketball, you can literally have the ball in your hands all the time or affect the guy having the basketball and say, you know what, I'm checking him. So there's a greater impact that way. In baseball, you got to make sure you have foundational pieces. When you have enough foundational pieces, that increases your chances to win. So you put Shohei Otani with a guy like Freddie Freeman, with a guy like Mookie Betts, a young guy like Gavin Lux, Will Smith, and the young guys that are not only just here right now, but are coming in years to come, yes, you uh, increase your chances of winning not only a lot of ball games, but winning, more importantly, in the postseason. For sure. And you're probably looking at a situation where, yeah, that top of the lineup, it's going to be elite. And I think, too, you take some pressure off the current face of the franchise, a guy who has not performed well in the last three postseason series, and that is Mookie Betts. I want to ask you a little bit about Mookie Betts because he has been outstanding. There's only one way to describe his year last year. It was elite. He was great, but you saw him trending in the wrong direction after August. After he had those 51 hits in August, you saw the extra base hits go down. He went 0 for 11 in the NLDS. It felt like the timing was off. He was swinging at pitchers' pitches, like Dave Roberts said, kind of expanding the zone. And characteristically, you didn't see a lot of hard contact. What do you make of his inability to really get it going the last couple of postseasons? Well, I think, and I've said this all the time, the postseason is different than, than the regular season, and Mookie Betts knows that. Now, it, it was Mookie Betts uh, not accustomed to the big stage. We all know that is not the answer. He has thrived in the postseason in the past. World champion in 2018 with the Boston Red Sox. Unfortunately, we got a chance to see that firsthand. And then World Series champ with the Dodgers in 2020, where he thrived offensively, defensively, running the bases. So we know that's not it. I think maybe he was a little tired. You know, I know he bulked, bulked up the past offseason, gained about 8 to 10 pounds of muscle so he could be stronger in the second half, and he had an incredible August. And here's what I said, and I think me and Nomar were talking about this 
uh, during August. He got so hot. Not only was he so hot, he was always on base. And when you're always on base, always scoring runs, you're asked to play right field, shortstop, second base, you're constantly moving. It could be draining and taxing, not just mentally, but also physically. Mookie Betts is not 6'2", 230 pounds. Mookie Betts is around 5'10", maybe 175 pounds or so, maybe 180. I want to say maybe he was a little gassed. I really, he's not going to admit that. He is not going to admit that. But when you're the leadoff hitter and you're walking up the plate every single night, getting five plate appearances, sometimes six plate appearances, running on the bases, playing right field, playing short, playing second. Now, I did that, but I didn't run up to the plate 700 times. I was a super utility guy, but got 300 and 350 at-bats. Mookie Betts gets 700 plate appearances. That is extremely taxing. So we may have to look at that next season and, and seasons going forward. Maybe he may not like this, but maybe giving some, some rest a little bit in September to make sure he's completely fresh. Because again, he uses his entire body to generate so much strength and force with that swing. I agree. I think they need to address it in some way. I found it very interesting that last year during spring training, he talked about how the organization wanted him to add some muscle, wanted him to add those nine pounds. That probably tells me that it links to what you're saying is he sort of wears down, and that's just a natural because it's such a grind of a season, 162-game regular season. He's just so pivotal for the Dodgers' success. In the postseason, in his run, Dodgers 13-4 and four when he scores a run, a 765 win percentage, 7 and 13 when he doesn't score runs that tells me that you need to have optimal Mookie in the postseason I want to ask you too Jerry because you mentioned the postseason how it's a different ball game it's a different animal right I mean you're talking about a postseason where the lights are bright the pitchers are better they're executing pitches but you didn't have a problem with that because look I have no life Jerry I went back and I watched the World Series in 2009 getting ready for this interview and I saw your at bat Pedro Martinez there, able to get a hit in your first World Series game. You got a hit in your first postseason game. How would you describe the intensity level jump from the regular season in the postseason, and what does it take to be able to execute in those situations? Well, the regular season, I mean, the big leagues obviously is as tough as it gets as far as the regular season. Yes, there are scouting reports, but the scouting reports are like uh, cliff notes because you're playing 162 games in 181 days. So you're getting these scouting reports on the fly. We're going to shade this person this way. We're going to pitch this person this way throughout this series. And then you're on to the next series. Then you're on to the next series. It's just so much information in a long, a short period of time, but in a long season. Now, in the postseason, it's the final exam. Every pitch matters. Every pitch is like a college football atmosphere because everybody knows that one pitch could make a difference. You can give up that two-run homer or that three-run homer. 90 feet matters. So you got to understand walking up to the plate, they might not pitch to me the same as they did in the regular season. I faced Santana. This is, you know, I walked to the plate in 2009 in the 13th inning. I let off the inning. I faced Santana before of the Angels. I faced him for years. I got three pitches that at bat. If you tell me those three pitches, I bet my life two of those pitches would be fastballs. He threw me three breaking balls, three pitches, threw me three break, breaking balls. I got to a 1-1 one, one count. I almost was sitting on breaking ball. Why? Because it was the postseason. I went to two-strike hitting with one strike just in case he threw me another breaking ball. And guess what? He threw me a breaking ball. Why? I'm not a homer hitter because it's the postseason, man. 90 feet matters. He's trying to get me out. I was able to get a hit. We scored a run. We won, we won game two. That's what you have to understand. you got to realize the Texas Rangers have realized that. Obviously, the Arizona Diamondbacks have realized that this postseason. 90 feet matters. Shortening up your swing, putting the ball in play matters. And then when you put pressure on the opposition and he's in the stretch and he's in trouble, then you can have guys like Corey Seager. You can have a guy like Christian Walker hit that three-run homer. So you've got to understand it's a different game and you've got to be able to execute. Teams that execute in the postseason and play their small ball, or I call it smart ball, they're going to be able to advance and go on to the next round. D-backs did it this year and so have the Texas Rangers. 
And Jerry, when you look at this team offensively, I mean, people out there, they act like they've never been able to hit in the postseason. The way I look at it is you look up and down this lineup. I see world series champions. I see all-stars. I see members of teams that have made it the world series that have won the world series, by the way, happy anniversary of the 2020 world series today. Right. But are you seeing a change as far as where the game is going and their approach at the plate? Cause it does feel like, there's not many plan B's or C's with their approach at the plate. I mean, sometimes you want to see a little more of a two strike approach, put the ball in play. Cause when they go cold, Jerry, it feels like they go ice cold and they have no answer. So do you, would you like to see some type of change as far as their approach and their mindset in the box in the postseason? Well, I, I love that you brought this up and I love that Max Muncie a couple of days ago addressed it. Max Muncie was very forthright and very honest. He said, you know, we got to change. We, we have to make adjustments. In fact, we need to be more aggressive. You know, sometimes in the regular season, we are extremely patient. We wait teams out. We put ourselves in, in hitter-friendly counts, and boom, we score three or five runs. In the postseason, teams start to understand because they got the whole information, right? It's the final exam. You know what? The Dodgers are uh, very, very patient, so we're going to make sure we're going to get strike one on them, okay? And then Max, like Max Muncy said, they pitched us differently, and he's exactly right. So you got to be able to adjust on the fly and i'm glad that these guys are saying that because now that they're voicing it and talking about it that tells me training hey guys we're gonna make it we're gonna because when we get to the postseason teams are gonna pitch to us differently we have to be able to adjust pitch to pitch if you look at the, what the texas rangers have done i know the texas rangers i know chris young i was a former teammate he's a gm michael young is a special assistant there really good friends with him with the rangers they're hitting philosophy with to Myers, bro, we're not doing it in the regular season. We're changing in the postseason because they're going to pitch to us differently. They're using more of their top hand. They're covering that high fastball. They're putting the ball in play. It's been well documented the last couple weeks. Uh, Ken Rosenthal did a, a really good piece on that. They have changed their philosophy because guess what? The pitchers are changing their philosophy and how they pitch the Texas Rangers. So you have to be able to adjust. The D-backs are playing a late 90s, 2000 type of style of offense putting pressure, bunting, stealing, and they're, they're, they're playing that type of offense. And because they're doing that, 90 feet, they're putting pressure on the opposing team and they're able to score runs that way. So I really believe the D-back style of play, a lot of teams are going to go to that going forward, especially with the new rule changes on the base pass. And see, that's what's so frustrating to me because we know the talent's there and we know that this organization, they're steeped in analytics. They have all the best resources there is, but it feels like other organizations, like you mentioned, the Rangers, the Diamondbacks, they are making adjustments on the fly. Now, does that fall on the coaches? Does that fall on the specific players? Because to me, it feels like you're driving around without a spare tire. And when you go flat, you're just stuck there right now. I don't think they have anywhere else to go, but there's enough talent on this team. Cause we've seen it in the regular season. You talk about pitchers pitching to these hitters differently. Are you looking at individual players making adjustments? Is it coaching in the dugout? Is it trying to have players go to players? I mean, what is the process there as far as the in-game adjustments and how they're actually executed? It's really everyone. And the one thing that the Dodgers have been great at the last couple off seasons, they're not pointing fingers. They're saying it's all of us. It's collective failure. It's an organization failure, you know, and them saying that, I think they're going to start to realize, and I think they already realized it now. You guys, we, we got to make changes. Derek Jeter uh, was on Fox a, a few days ago, and he said, listen, before we start the postseason, he would address the team. And I remember this conversation in 2009. Before we started the, the postseason, we had a hitters meeting, right? He Derek didn't do a whole lot of talking, but when he did, Obviously, everybody was listening. Derek said, listen, I don't care what your numbers were. It don't matter in the postseason. When it's time to execute, you execute. 90 feet matter in the postseason. If you need to get that guy over from second to third base, less than two outs, I don't care you have to butt. Get his behind over. Because when you execute, you're able to put the other team behind the eight ball. This is Derek Jr. Now, this is a team with A-Rod, Johnny Damon, Jorge Posada, Mark Teixeira, full of stars. Robinson Cano, I saw these guys, superstars, trying to go the other way, making sure they shorten up to put the ball in play. Hideki Matsui, make sure he rolls over to get that guy over from second and third base because you understand that one run could lead to four or five runs. 
That's what needs to happen. That what that's what needs to take place. And I think that the players really understand that. I think they're going to be even more aggressive as far as thinking that way moving forward, especially in the postseason. So that's what I ask you next, because look, as far as there's the adjustments from a technical, from an execution, from a mechanical standpoint, and then there's the leadership level, right? You mentioned Derek Jeter kind of just addressing the group, galvanizing the group, kind of rallying the troops a little bit as far as the overall approach. Now, Jerry, you're probably the only person I've ever met on this plan that loves Michael Jordan more than I do, right? And you talk about Michael Jordan and his mentality. You talk about in the last dance when Will Purdue talks about how basically he was an a-hole, he was a jerk, but it worked and it made us all better. From a player perspective inside the clubhouse, do you need that guy that is sort of the leader in that role to get everyone sparked? Or is it that, okay, we're all big leaguers, we all know what we're doing, or does it help to have that one guy that could be a vocal leader in that situation? It always helps to have that one guy. Uh, that that needs to say what needs to be said. Now, I'm not saying the Dodgers don't have that guy. I really believe they have guys in place to do that. And I'm not saying that they didn't do it. You know, they, they may have. I'm not in, in the clubhouse. I guess the reason why I've always admired Michael, Michael Jordan is because it wasn't about stats with him, even though he had the greatest stats ever. It wasn't about stats. I saw him play in real time. He guarded the basketball, especially at, in the fourth quarter. I'm stopping this dude. He did whatever it took to win. And that mentality, you know, that's where Kobe Bryant got it from. We always talk about Kobe Bryant, Mama mentality, which I love Kobe Bryant because I know that mentality. I know exactly where he got that from. That's Jordan's mentality. He learned that from Michael Jordan, whatever it takes to win. And I think that I've really, uh, I grew up a Bulls fan. I'm still a Bulls fan. But the thing that I've admired about Lakers fans, they're very similar to Bulls fans. We don't care about your stats. And Dodger fans, we don't care about your stats. Just win the game. It's all about winning championships. And that's why I really love, obviously, now being a huge Dodger fan, being a Laker fan, is because it's very similar to Chicago fans. Don't tell us your stats. We don't care about your stats. It's about winning championships. I don't care if you won 105 games in the regular season, if you're the if you're the Lakers. They don't care if you won 55 games, 60 games in the regular season. Did you win? the championship. That's all we care about. And that's what I grew up on. So that's why I admire Michael Jordan so much because he didn't care about stats. All he cared about winning. He was obsessed about winning. He was so obsessed about being the best. This dude was so crazy. He thought he could play major league baseball because baseball was his best sport growing up as a kid before he shot up to be six, six. He thought he was going to be a baseball player. That's how insane he was. He thought he could play baseball. Yeah, no. And he, for a guy that hadn't played it since high school to be holding it down in double a, he's pretty impressive. And he was a guy that those fly balls were turning into home runs. And like Tito said that if he got a thousand at bats and played appearances, you know, he probably would have, he would have made, he would have been a major, he would have been a major leaguer. So yeah, I mean, that's still unbelievable, man. Jordan on the bus brings back a uh, great memories, but yeah, you talk about just that role. I mean, even Michael Jordan, when he says, okay, I'm not packing a suit, right? I'm not packing a clothes. Cause we're the series is over. Just kind of that mentality. Do you think that, there is a guy in that clubhouse that is fierce. And does that have to come from the star too? I mean, can you go out there and get a player who is not necessarily the all-star or the hall of famer, a guy that maybe is a role player, but then provides that energy. You think the Dodgers need to go seek some players like that. They kind of have a different kind of grit and mindset in the postseason. You, you know what? I think they already have those guys in that clubhouse. You know, listen, it didn't happen this postseason. You can't tell me Mookie Betts isn't a winner. I mean, he's five foot 10, 170 pounds. This guy, they said he wouldn't do this. He was a fifth rounder out of, out of the state of Tennessee. He, won't, he has made himself into a superstar, not a star player, a superstar. Freddie Freeman, I, I just learned, I talked to Freddie this year. A lot of teams says he would never make it as a hitter. They wanted him to be a pitcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. They wanted him to be a pitcher. Yeah. Freddie Freeman. So uh, there's so many guys in that clubhouse, Miguel Rojas. Jason Hayward, where they told him, bro, your, your career is over. Your career is over. He has went back and revamped his swing, had an incredible, incredible season. Hopefully, Jay Hay is back. There's so many guys in that, that, that clubhouse. I think it, the philosophy and I think their adjustments as far as hitting needs to change. And I'm going to say this. I know we talked about it earlier. Guys, if we have Dustin May, if we have uh, Julio Rios, we all know who, why Julio wasn't there. If we have Walker Bueller, if we have a healthy Clayton Kershaw, 
if we have a healthy rotation, you know what I'm saying, we have a better chance to, to win that series and obviously still be playing. So, again, I go back to the, to the injuries as far as we didn't have a starting rotation, really. You know what I'm saying? We're asking Bobby Miller, who I think is going to be an absolute stud. I think he will be an ace for, for many, many years. Um, he got hit in the mouth in that first inning, but then kind of gave us, you know, a couple innings uh, to, to get back in the game. Uh, listen, D-backs hit us in the mouth the first two games, and, and then in that third game they were at home. Uh, it's just unfortunate. Tip your hat to D-backs, but I think when we have a healthy rotation, which we will next season, uh, our offense will be back and we're going to make some noise next season. Yeah. I like how you point that out, Jerry. I appreciate that because look, the reality is it's all about spinning narratives this time of year. It's so quickly. The narrative changes because this team went from the team that had the best chemistry in years. Dave Roberts, favorite team. Everyone's doing the Freddie dance. They're sipping tequila after wins. They're the gritty Dodgers to you have a bad three games after a tough five day layoff. And now they're all bums, right? The reality is you look at these guys. They're all stars. They're superstars. They're guys that have world series championships. I see a lot of Dodgers fans out out there oh Bryce Harper this Bryce Harper that Bryce Harper is an elite player he's a great player I love Bryce Harper but what does Bryce Harper not have that Freddie Mookie have he doesn't have a World Series championship right so let's not forget that so I agree with you that I don't make it as much about that as really is a tough series Diamondbacks I think uh, it looks less fluky now right I mean you find me the one person that's yeah. predicting this 84 win Diamondbacks team to make it to the World Series but I want to ask you about Dave Roberts because you said a few weeks ago this was his best year from a managerial standpoint, one, do you think that he is the perfect manager for this Dodgers team? And two, why'd you think this was his best year as a skipper? Well, I think by far this was his best year as a man to take what has happened to this team throughout the regular season, really started from spring training, losing your leadoff hitter and starting shortstop and Gavin Lux. What has happened uh, to your starting rotation throughout the season our starting rotation was depleted. You know, we really, really didn't have a chance as far as if you're like, if you're manager Dave Roberts in the postseason, before you could blink, you're down six nothing in game one. Before you can blink, before we even taken that bat, we're down six nothing. Now we know Clayton Kershaw was not healthy. He just wasn't. He was trying to grit it, grit it out. Then game two, before you could blink, we're down three nothing. We haven't even hit yet. So in the first inning of the first two games. The D-backs scored nine runs. How was that on the manager? It's not on the manager. In fact, I'm going to say this. Manager Dave Roberts did an incredible job managing game two. Incredible job. Put the right pieces in place as far as guys coming out of the bullpen, right scenarios, and at least gave us a chance to win, at least have our offense to come back. We just, we just couldn't score enough runs, okay? And what he did throughout the regular season I said it. This was his best managerial performance to date. I think he will even continue to get better. Without a doubt, Dave Roberts is the man for the, for this job. I, I love Dave. And we talk about a winner. I've known Dave Roberts for, for, for decades. This guy was the biggest overachiever. Went to UCLA as a walk-on. Made the team, not only made the team, starred there. Was just a guy, oh, we'll sign him for a pro contract. Oh, he'll play in the minor leagues a couple years. And then he'll ride off to in the sunset. He made himself into a great big leaguer as far as leadoff hitter, played for a lot of years, and now has become a, a, a great manager. One of the, I think he's right now the most winningest manager in all of baseball as far as percentages. He's, he's done an incredible job. Yeah, I also point out too, he's still the, the record holder at UCLA for 109 stolen bases. So we're proud of him for doing that. But yeah, I want to ask you about as far as the impact that a manager can have on you. I mean, you played. 16 years in the show, tons of different managers, tons of different managerial styles. And I think with Dave Roberts, I think what people don't see is this guy has such an infectious energy and an impact on his players. And as far as young players, giving them confidence, players that are slumping, giving them confidence that they get and getting out of it. It's not like football. I know you're a big football fan too, where different managers are playing a different style of football, like Kyle Shanahan's offense, McVay's offense. It's not like that. You don't play Dave Roberts style of baseball per se, but just what kind of impact as far as the intangibles can a manager have on an individual big league player, Jerry? Well, I think what Dave Roberts does is very similar to Dusty Baker as far as making sure he gets to know his players, and not just the big league players. He makes sure he gets to know the minor league guys in spring training. So when they get to the big leagues, it's not foreign to them. 
know what I'm saying? Or who is, who is this manager? I'm, I'm going to be nervous to play for him. He makes sure he squashes in spring training, making sure, hey, man, we're going to need you. We're going to need you. So when Sheehan comes up, when Bobby Miller comes up, Pepio comes up, the younger guys come up, like a James Altman, who struggled defensively in center field, you know, the first month, two months of the season. But Dave Roberts continued to go out there, along with McCullough, work with him, you know what I'm saying, to get better, breathe confidence in him as a defensive center fielder. And we saw just a growth and development. James Altman, I mean, he made incredible improvements defensively in the second half of the season. That's what a manager like Dave Roberts does. You know, some managers in the past, if a young guy is struggling, bro, you know what, get him out of here. Get him out of here. He can't play for me. Dave Roberts is not like that. He sees the talent, sees the potential, he's patient. Now he's patient, he's willing to work with him and make sure they continue to improve and develop. And he does that with the veteran guys, the new guys that come in, even though they've been big leaguers 10, 12, 13 years. Hey, you have a place here. Not only do you have a place, I want you to have a voice. I want you to be a leader, like a Jason Hayward, like a Miguel Rojas. Those guys right away, make sure they, they're implemented into the Dodger way right away so they feel comfortable, so they can also lead. So, again, Dave Roberts does an incredible job, and the communication uh, is huge. Trust me, guys, there's some managers out there, they don't communicate too well to their players. You know what I'm saying? Dave Roberts does a great job of doing that. Yeah, and you're right to point out winningest manager. I mean, if the Astros don't cheat in 2017, you win 2020 and 2017, all those World Series appearances. The reality is he'd be on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And if he gets fired by the Dodgers or he goes somewhere else, there'll be teams lined up to sign him as their manager. Would you agree with that? I Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? And, guys, listen, I, managers know this. Listen, I'm friends with Aaron Boone, Alex Cora, Dave Roberts, so many uh, David Ross in, in Chicago. I know all these guys played against them. Some of them I played with. They understand what it means to be in that managerial chair. There's always Monday morning quarterbacks the next day criticizing you every single night. Football is just once a week. Manager, it's every single night you're going to get criticized. Every single day, there's always a question the night before. They understand that. I always say this. Be careful what you wish for. Because appreciate what you have, because there's not a whole lot of guys that could do the job that Dave Roberts is doing. Trust me. Look what the situation is like in San Diego. How many guys have gone through there the last four, five, six years, and they've been loaded with talents? Bob Melvin ran away. And Bob Melvin is one of the greatest managers right now in the game of baseball. You know what I'm saying? So, again, with all the revolving doors, the last seven, eight, time as eight years of as far as players and for manager Dave Roberts to make sure he keeps basically everybody in unison and gives us a chance to win every year. Incredible job. Yeah. And I was at the duck for saying this, but Dave Roberts isn't the problem, right? I mean, he's someone who has definitely brought stability to this team, to this organization. It was a little bit of a speed dating situation after time was sorted with all the managers they went through. And yeah, he's someone that I think has to win two to win one to truly get this entire fan base behind him. But we all know everyone points to the manager is kind of the first thing, but I think Dave's done really a tremendous job and navigating the injuries, the off the field stuff. I have no issue with doc. Now I want to talk to you about this year's team though. And as far as how they're going to address the needs this off season, what would you say is the Dodgers biggest need this off season? Would it be starting pitching? Would it be another impact bat? Where do you point to as far as the area where they need to address it first? Well, I think obviously Otani is probably going to be first on their list. Uh, I think, I mean, for the obvious reasons, a bat, and we know when the arm is, is healthy again after surgery, he has an impact on the mound as well. So obviously that's number one. I think another pitcher, whether you get it via trade market, free agency, to really solidify that starting rotation you put in with uh, Bobby Miller. We know Walker Buehler will be back. Uh, and if you can get an ace to go along with Walker Bueller, to go along with Bobby, Bobby Miller, Pepio, so on and so forth, Clayton Kershaw, let's hope he comes back. Uh, that would be unbelievable, you know? Uh, so I think pitching is, 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 is paramount. It always is. You look at the starting rotation of the D-backs, the starting rotation of the Rangers, they have quality starters every single night. I mean, they've done it. It's been like that for, for decades. 
So I think the rotation, I think, is first and foremost. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Kike Hernandez is almost a must. You know, Kike Hernandez is a guy that you don't really appreciate uh, because he's not out there every single day. But I appreciate him because he's a he's a baller, man. Especially in big games, you need guys like him in the postseason. Where, hey, man, we're starting Kike Hernandez tonight. Game two, game three, game four, because he ain't afraid, man. I always say postseason is a street fight. Regular season is a nice boxing match, right? We need street fighters, man, in the postseason. And Kike Hernandez is a street fighter, bro. With Kike, I'll play center. I'll play short. I'll play, I don't, I don't care. Give me the lineup. I'm going to do my thing. So I think Kike fits exactly what we do here with the Dodge. So I'm hoping he comes back. Yeah, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was just about to ask you about Kike Hernandez. And if you thought the Dodgers should re-sign him, I agree with you 100%. He's someone who round average as a bat, but will go on his streaks. He's versatile. His intangibles, what he brings to the clubhouse. And like you said, sometimes in the postseason, got to throw out the regular season stats, got to throw out everything. Winners win in October. Keektober is definitely a thing. I hope they bring him back two years, 10 million, whatever it takes. I would love to see him back. What do you think about J- Jason Hayward, though? You think Jason Hayward is someone they should consider bringing back as well? Absolutely. I think Jay Hay fits here. Exactly what this team needs. And I think for Jason Hayward, I think he's found a home here. You know, I think it's, it's it, it, it benefits both sides, Dodgers and, and Jason Hayward, because they put him in situations and scenarios to succeed. And he thrives here with the Dodgers. So I'm hoping Jay Hay comes back. He's a great guy that you can have in the lineup. Uh, obviously, he can play right field when Mookie Betts plays a little bit of infield. Uh, you could have him DH at times if need be, and a great guy in the clubhouse. Is your gut telling you anything about Clayton Kershaw? Um, I know Clayton. We text every once in a while. We're in a um, group, group chat uh, every once in a while. I don't know. I mean, that is the God honest truth. I don't know. If I were a betting man, I say he's going to be back. I think he has to give it one more one more chance, man. Um, you know what? I, I kind of made the point about Shohei Otani. Like, he couldn't come to the Dodgers if they went to the World Series. Guess who's in the World Series? The Texas Rangers, you know? And Kirsch might help me for saying this. You know, I love Kirsch. He knows I love him. But do you go to the Texas Rangers? You know what I'm saying? They just went through the World Series. Um, I mean, that may not stop him because it is his home. Uh, and him and his wife, who do tremendous work uh, in the community globally, uh, they're going to do what's best for their family. But I'm being selfish. I want to see Clayton Kershaw back in Dodger Blue. By the way, you can add me to that group chat. I won most improved player for JV at South Pasadena High School. So just uh, add me to that group chat. I appreciate that. But no, I agree with you. I think... For a guy who's had such a decorated career, three times Cy Young, first Bell Hall of Fame, he's a walking statue. For that to be his last time on the mound, I just can't picture that, right? And I also can't picture him in another team's uniform. So I feel like it's a situation where every day that goes by, every week that goes by, the better the shoulder feels. You add some pieces, like you mentioned, be it trade or free agency. Maybe have him throw around 100, 110 innings, something like that. Optimize him for the postseason run. We'll get those 56 strikeouts, get him to 3,000 strikeouts, and give him his roses and send him off the right way. So, yeah, you're making me feel better about that. He should be treated like Greg Maddox should have been treated like with the Chicago Cubs, you know, years ago. Greg Maddox should have never left the Cubs, but he was kind of – not four stop, but the Braves gave him a ton of money. So that's why he went through the line of Braves. Don't fall, fall doggy for that. But I want to see Clayton Kershaw in the role that Greg Maddox was when I was teammates with Greg Maddox. A fourth starter, veteran guy who could be there at value and, and help the young guys out. But also when you need a quality start to give us that start, he's there. But we can't ask Clayton Kershaw to be a number one starter because he's not that guy anymore. And that's okay. He shouldn't be that guy anymore. He's done so much. There's so many miles on that shoulder, so many miles on that body. We have to, like you said, 110, 120 innings, whatever he can give us. I'm hoping he could be that dude next season. That's why you go get a stud ace. And then you have a Bobby Miller. You obviously have a Walker Bueller, Pepio and so on and so forth. And then you have Clayton Kershaw. 
Yeah. I think it's interesting how people forget how, even though there was injuries last year, Kirsch was still their best pitcher as far as war, as far as how effective he was, as long as he's the command on the fastball, as long as he has the feel for the slider, he can go out there, give you five, six solid innings. He was giving you seven scoreless innings multiple times last year. I hope he's back. It would be a sad ending. I just think he's going to come back. We're going to make one more run at this thing. But Jerry, appreciate you. We're going to get you out of here on this one. I've been really looking forward to asking you this question because you are a World Series champion. Pen the big league 16 years, right? You play for a lot of teams. You want a lot of great uniforms. Two of the best uniforms in the sport, in my opinion, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees, the iconic pinstripes, the iconic Dodger blue, which is the better uniform? Is it the New York Yankees or Los Angeles blue. Dodgers, Jerry? I uh, see it behind you. I see this autograph one from 09, I'm assuming. Well, this is the 09, all the Yankees 2009 roster. We won the World Series. They all signed that jersey. That's the number I wore. Uh, that was the, the jersey that we won the World Series, and I, I wore that. Listen, um, I have this conversation a lot uh, with John Hartung. I think the best jersey in all the sports is the Chicago Blackhawks jersey. I mean, it's just mm. the Blackhawks jersey is, is something else. Now, hold on a second. The prettiest uniform, like just so pristine, clean, just, I mean, like I step back and John Hartung knows this. And you ask John, bro, there's nothing like that Dodge uniform, bro. There's nothing like that Dodge uniform, okay? It's the blue, it's the white. Now, I love the road unis too, but when you're at Dodger Stadium, when the sun is shining and you have that blue LA cap and you have the all white and you have the blue with the Dodgers and a little bit of red. It is epic. It is iconic. Now, that is the, the most beautiful uniform. Dodgers, most beautiful. The Yankee uniform is very traditional. It's ready to the point. It's right to the point, I should say. The pinstripes, that is iconic as well, man. You know why? Because Babe Ruth wore that uniform, bro. You know what I'm saying? Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, so on and so forth. So both are iconic. And for me to say, you brought it up, I was very fortunate to wear the pinstripes and very fortunate to wear Dodger blue. I, I, I was extremely lucky. I shouldn't have been that lucky, you know, but I was, and I'm definitely grateful. Yeah, no, first of all, I want to say that you should run for office the way you answer that question. You just answer that perfectly, politically, hitting both sides. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the Yankees, it's iconic. You can't beat it. It's the pinstripes. So you mentioned Babe Ruth did it. The Dodgers, the cleanest, the wedding gown white. I know that Ken Landro used to talk about how to be in center field at Dodger Stadium, and he'd be distracted because he'd be looking down at the Dodgers script and the number because he'd be distracted by how pretty it was. So, yeah, that's a great answer. I appreciate you, and we appreciate you dropping knowledge like we knew you would. Talking all things Dodger baseball, your expertise, your insight. We hope you have a great offseason watching hoops, watching the NFL, getting ready for next year. So thank you so much, Jerry. We really appreciate you rocking with us here on Dodgers Dugout Live, my man. Anytime, brother. Anytime. I take it easy, Jerry. And that was Jerry Harrison Jr. on Dodgers Dugout Live. So, yeah, let me know down below. What was your reaction? Because he was dropping a lot of heat on this show. And we appreciate him joining us. And, yeah, what I love about Jerry Harrison Jr. is you get that player perspective that was part of the past generation and sort of part of this generation, right? So we, there's a little bit of an old school mentality, but he knows what the current players are dealing with, what they're trying to go through as far as being good in the modern day. And I think that I thought some of the stuff he said was really interesting was about the fact that yes, the Dodgers do have dogs currently in that clubhouse. They just didn't get it done. Look, they didn't get it done. And we all need something to point to. We need to blame someone. You need to point to Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, who didn't show up. They deserve it. He goes one for 21 as a group, one for 21 between those two. Didn't get a hit out of the infield. So, yeah, they were the big problem. There's no doubt about that. $527 million worth of player, and you get one hit in the postseason. That is unacceptable. They do need more from Mookie and Freddie moving forward. There is no doubt about that. But the reality is this Diamondbacks team, look at Brandon Fott. Brandon Fott having success. At the beginning of this postseason, Brandon Fott was Brandon position. We couldn't even describe his name. Right now, he's made a name for himself. So, baseball is a tricky sport. It's a maddening sport. I like what uh, DMAC, when we get in your bobblehead, Sean Costello. I'm hoping that Jerry asked me that group chat with Kershaw and them boys. Man, I asked him to. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Jerry should be coaching somewhere. I got jams. 
Think about Jerry, man. He man, he's got to get his opinion off, man. You guys tell me that uh, I should be the manager of the Dodgers. I'd be fired the first day because I'd be popping off in the post-game press conference, okay? So I think he someone has such a strong opinion. He's so great at what he does, and I think that, yeah, at baseball knowledge-wise, he could for sure help teams as a coach. There's no doubt about that. But Cesar says, love Kirsch, but not smart to until out on a high. What was this sentence here? I'll go to the next one. Uh, we got uh, V-Track, don't be mean to Chokey and Froddy. Okay, I see what you did right there. While you're calling him Chokey and Froddy, I don't appreciate that right there, but uh, that's a bro and a finish him. But look, I don't know if you guys saw it too. Mookie Betts was, uh, uh, he got, it was a Laker game and they showed him on the screen. He got booed a little bit there. And yeah, like I said yesterday, look, I love Mookie Betts. He's a great player. I think Jerry was right to point out the fact that Mookie isn't the biggest guy. Okay. He's five foot nine. He's someone who hits lead off and gets you close to 40 bombs. That isn't normal. Okay. You don't see that a guy, his size hit with that kind of power on a regular basis, but Mookie is able to do it. I do say, like I said yesterday, I did have some issues with him posting a video of him bowling. I didn't love that. I don't, I don't hate the fact that he bowls. You can't be in the cage 24 seven. There's nothing going to do right now to change what happened in the NLDS, but do you really need to post it? After you've gone six for your last 48 in the postseason and you've been milk box Mookie, that's what I don't want to see. By the way, I mean, I didn't even know they had bowling alleys that nice in Cancun. Okay. So that's kind of the issue I had. I don't want to see Mookie posting stuff because I think he subjects himself to a little bit of criticism right there. But let's read some more of your comments here. We got uh, BC. Those are brutal nicknames. Yeah, BC. Those were pretty brutal. But like I said, hey, this is your show. I'm just hosting it. This is not State Dodgers TV. So that's what I think is the best thing about this show is we get your opinions, your takes across. Even if I don't agree with them, this is not an echo chamber. I do share a lot of the same sentiments at times, but we got the Altuve is shorter and he hits bombs. Yeah, Michael Creo, you're talking about another guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. You're talking about a Hall of Fame where it's less than 1% of these players that have played and make it to the Hall of Fame. So that's another great player in Jose Altuve. The reality, though, is it doesn't happen very often. But uh, bad optics, Dukes. We got to Juan Jimenez. Mookie wanted to show everyone he is not hurt. That's from Juan Jimenez. I'm not so sure about that. We got a super chat here. $5 is going right to the Otani fund. Do you think the Dodgers payroll will be 257, 277, or 297 million next year? I'm guessing 277 with an extra $25 million tax. It really all depends on how aggressive they're going to be this offseason. The reality is with after arbitration, 126 million. Before that, 84 million in players like Freddie Mookie, Chris Taylor, Austin Barnes. You got Miguel Rojas to under contract. But the reality is that for any of these major teams, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, they have the cleanest payroll moving forward. And the Giants are in a really good spot to be aggressive and make some moves because they didn't get Aaron Judge. They didn't get Carlos Rodon or Carlos Correa or bring back any of those guys. So they're in a position to be aggressive and sign an elite player. But as far as the payroll overall, it just depends on if you get Shohei Otani and if it's on the deal that we expect him to get where it's somewhere in the 40 to $50 million range, closer to $50 million, right? That cuts that $100 million in half as far as the CBT and how much they have to spend after the arbitration. And then do they go out there and make a move for a Yamamoto, a Nola, a Snell, a Sonny Gray, a Montgomery, some of these free agent pitchers? Do they sign one of the second tier ones, right? It's one of the second tier ones that are available, right? Ryu. I mean, he's available. Maeda, he's available. Right? I don't know. think they go that route, but that's another option as well because you're going to have to trade for some of these assets too. I think that's what they'll explore. Only issue is rarely do you see the impact starting ace-level pitchers get moved in the winter time. Usually it takes place after a team feels like they're out of contention at some point towards the trade deadline. Guys that could be available, Corbin Burns, Mitch Keller, Dylan Cease, those types. So it really just all depends. I do think they're going to go past the tax again for a four straight year. Last year, they wanted to get under it, but they didn't anticipate having to give Trevor Bauer 22 mil not to pitch for them. So they really had no chance to get under after that. So I do think they'll exceed that. I do probably expect if I just throw out a guess, I mean, you're absolutely looking something in the 
260 to 270 range next season. I think this offseason is the one that they had earmarked that they were anticipating is as far as their this was going to be their big spending offseason. And if they don't get Otani, they got Matt Chapman. I mean, Cody Bellinger's available. I mean, there's pitchers available. I do think they're going to spend this offseason no matter what. And if not, you're going to cash on some of that prospect capital to get impact pieces via trade. But let's get some more comments here. And we'll let you guys, I'm looking for that comment of the day. Still, we got, uh, it gets me heated seeing Mookie play another sport. Yeah. I mean, like I said, MLB stands for major League baseball, not major league bowling, right? We don't necessarily want to see that. And that's why, like I said, it means nothing. The reality is it does Mookie bowling have any impact on his baseball career. Zero, none. It probably helps it, if anything, because it takes his mind off of baseball. He's able to do something else to take his mind off it. Like That's a good thing for him, but it's an optics thing. When you're paid $365 million, you're the face of a franchise, and you go 0 for 11 in the NLDS, and you post a video of yourself bowling before the World Series has even been began, that is not going to sit well with your fan base. He knew that he was going to get flamed for that. So I agree. Like I said, I am for you. I'm with you guys on that one. Doesn't sit well with me. A couple more here. We got, um, if we're not second behind Mets, we're not serious about winning. That's from BC. Victor Bonios. I love the show. DMAC is so, I <laughs> know. Uh, I look, and when I got a guest on, of course, I mean, like I, you guys know, I keep it real. We got the Tommy. You would be great on sports. LA DMAC. Hey man, Jerry Harris Jr. Keep going on his show. Next, we got the Altuve should have his Hall of Fame bus mounted on a trash can. That's my comment of the day. Finish him. From Captain says Altuve should have his Hall of Fame bus mounted on a trash can. Bang, bang, right there. Man, I forgot I was going to say the Astros just stole my next thing I was going to say. But, uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> that's that's hilarious right there. But, yeah, want to say, too, you got the anniversary of the 2020 World Series. What a great Moment it was, I know after the fact, there's people out there that want to discredit that World Series. And that's a different conversation, right? We understand that it was a shortened series, less than 40% of a regular season. That Dodgers team won 43 games. They were the best team in baseball. It's not their fault that there was a global pandemic. They won the games that were in front of them. There was a championship to be won, and they won it. Any other team's fan base out there, they'd be celebrating that championship too. There would have been a big parade at gas lamp in San Diego. They would probably still be going to this very hour had the Padres have won that world series. And the reality is, yeah, does it carry the same weight? That's debatable. I mean, attrition of a regular season. What makes it special in baseball is that it is 162 games, right? They did have to play two extra games. I will say, if you want to impact your rooting interest here, for the World Series, I don't know who you're rooting for, the Texas Rangers or the Diamondbacks, or you're not even watching or whatever. I say root for the Texas Rangers because if the Diamondbacks win, they'll become the second team in big league history to have to win 13 games to win a championship. So they'll share that with that Dodgers team. But the reality is the joy that you experience in that moment, you weren't thinking, oh, this is a 60-game season. You weren't thinking that at all. You were still excited. You were still pouring beer and champagne all over you and your friends. and You guys are dancing and crying tears of joy. It was still a great moment in Los Angeles. So no, let anyone take that away from you, but uh, that's going to do over this episode of Dodgers dugout live Do a couple more here. Some walk-off shots. We got, I uh, hope we trade Lux. We'll talk about that in another episode. Mookie probably goes over four in a basketball game. That's from Nando. But that's going to do over this episode, guys. Remember, Everybody's got a quiet like Dodger baseball. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. Until next time, think blue. Bleed blue, and I'm. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. stadium their silence is deafening 136 israelis are still being held hostage by hamas bring them home
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.